If you haven't listened to Philip's vision talk yet, please do uh, listen. You can listen again online, or if you want to go old school, there's CDs out the back. Who would have thought CDs were old school? Anyway, <laughs> there we go. They are quite old school now, I think. Certainly my kids think that. But anyway, as we look at this passage from Luke, what we're going to see this morning, I hope, is that Jesus had, had, had a vision for a different type of community to the one that the world uh, had back then. He had a vision for a new community that he wanted to build with his disciples, and he wanted to challenge the values that they held, and also that were widely held by the world around them at that time. And I think as we do that, I really hope they will help us understand better some of the values that God wants us all to hold as we seek to build a a better, loving Christian community here in Claygate. Because we want to build a community, or I certainly do, where everyone is welcomed in love. But also a community that is different from the world, a community where people look at us and are challenged by the difference there is in us. Jesus was very, very good at challenging people and turning things upside down or perhaps the right way up, whatever way you want to say. The values of the world, the things that people naturally uh, adopted and thought that uh, were important. He was very good at challenging those and he think he still does that to, to us today. He wants those that follow him to live by a different standard to the one the world sets around us. I think it's really important for us to all look at these types of values that Jesus uh, gives us. Because Jesus, uh, when, uh, when we live out the words that Jesus said in the way that he expects us to do, I think our lives will be the best that they can be. I don't think that this side of heaven, if we all lived in a loving community and held the values that Jesus wanted us to, it would be a pretty awesome place to be. God knows what perfect relationships uh, should look like. God, God made us, so we should take seriously how he wants us to live and the values he wants us uh, to have. And we live in a world, I don't know if you know this, where uh, more and more people are admitting to uh, feeling suffering, uh, feeling, uh, suffering from feelings of loneliness and isolation. Both elderly and younger generations too. I was reading some, some interesting things that, that, this, this week that, uh, that bosses in, in workplaces have noticed how the younger generation uh, I find it much harder than those that that are older to build relationships with other people. Often because it's simple things like at coffee time, rather than go in and speak to work colleagues, they will go in and look at their phone rather than strike up conversations. Or instead of turning to somebody and asking advice if they need help, they will pick up their phone and look for an answer on the internet. Relationships and loneliness are something that is at risk in society and an issue that that is growing. But Jesus has words for us 
that speak directly into what kind of community and what kind of relationship we should have. So uh, do turn to your Bibles, keep it open on page 1034. Because I think there's four, four principles we can look at from this passage that, that will help us understand what this uh, new community might look like. But before we get into it, I really want to draw your attention to uh, verse 20. I'm going to focus uh, mainly this morning on, on the, the verses after verse, verse 20. So the blessings and the woes part. But look at verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he, Jesus, said. When I read this phrase, it really struck me because Jesus is talking in front of a massive crowd. We've just, Luke's just told us there were a large number of Jesus' disciples there. And also a great number of people from all over the place who'd come to hear Jesus for very different reasons. Yet despite all those people being there, these words, these blessings and woes, Jesus said, looking at his disciples, many of whom he had just called and picked out. He looks directly at them and says, blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who hunger now. Blessed are you who weep now. And these words Jesus is speaking would have brought great comfort to his disciples. If you were here last week and, and you remember uh, the talk of Jesus calling his disciples, we were told how, how Simon, James, John, and, and Levi, in particular, had left everything they had to follow Jesus. Blessed are you who are poor would have had a whole amazing new meaning, especially for those disciples, wouldn't it? But along with these blessings and those words that would have brought comfort, there were also some serious challenges. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are well-fed. Woe to you who laugh. These are warnings about how they were to live their lives. And as we will unpack later, I think that will help us see, both individually and as a community, to look and focus on things that are most important in life. So let's get into, into these four points. As we get into them, I want us to be prepared to both be comforted by them, but also I hope to be challenged by them, because there are some challenging, uh, these are some very challenging words in here as well. So looking at his disciples, the four points that Jesus said is firstly this. Trust God when there is suffering. When Jesus spoke uh, the words of blessings over those who were poor, hungry, and weeping, there would have been quite a bit of shock amongst his disciples, probably, and the crowd that could also hear Jesus' words. The kind of general accepted wisdom uh, back in Jesus' time and in Jewish society was that if you were suffering, God was not with you. Rather, that if you were suffering, it was likely caused by some sin you had done or other family, mem family member had done. Therefore, the suffering that you were going through was probably because God was displeased with you, i.e. it was a result of your own fault. So these words spoken by Jesus directly to his now poor disciples that they will inherit the kingdom of God kind of speaks directly against this 
this sort of accepted wisdom or worldview fact there. What Jesus was saying was that God is interested with those who are suffering. The hungry will be satisfied. The weeping will laugh. Jesus' words would have brought great hope to those that were or would suffer in this world. And in saying this, Jesus was turning those values of the world upside down, bringing comfort to those who thought that God was displeased with them and far away, that God saw them and that he would ultimately be able to bring them comfort from their place of suffering. He was given a future hope to those that were in pain. Now, most of us here this morning aren't poor or hungry. Some of you may be hungry if you skip breakfast before coming here for that extra few minutes in bed. But there are many Christians around the world who are truly hungry, who are truly poor. And there are also a lot of people who have wept because of suffering in their lives in the past or are going through suffering right now. And again, many, many Christians around the world suffer daily in ways that we can't really imagine or get our heads around. These words bring great comfort to us all. Jesus is saying, don't give up. Keep going. There will be a time when suffering comes to an end and God will satisfy you. Don't let suffering discourage you or stop you in your walk with God. And I think this is one of the most important principles to hold on to for uh, all of us that are Christian disciples. Because God doesn't promise us an easy life, a life free from pain and suffering. In fact, the opposite seems to be true in the Bible or hinted at. Actually, if you follow Jesus, you should expect a bit more suffering and opposition than if you don't. But what Jesus is saying, and what we are called to do individually and as a community, is to continue to trust God in those circumstances. Even though we may not be able to stop the suffering or understand why it's happened, is to remain confident in the love of God and the hope that he can provide in the future. That's what I try to do in difficult times. And I know there's some people in our church who are having to hold on to that right now, uh, going through pain and suffering. And it's difficult to hold on to, but actually that there is hope for a future that God provides is a great comfort in that pain. And I don't know how people without faith can go through without any kind of hope in the horrendous situations that people can find themselves in. It's not always easy, but it's something we're called to do. Earlier this week in, uh, in, in morning prayer, we meet together every morning and we look at a psalm. Uh, we looked at, at psalm, four, psalm 4, and the, the first line of the, this psalm is, Answer me when I call to you, O my righteous God. And as I read this psalm, uh, it reminded me of a phrase I often say in annoyance to my children. Will you answer me when I speak to you or when I ask you a question? Because it seems quite often my children deliberately ignore me, either because they're daydreaming miles away or or watching the television or, or whatever. Sometimes they have heard and simply ignored me, but most of the time they are just so focused on something that they haven't heard. I just had this that phrase just went through. But as you go through the rest of the psalm, 
in uh, Psalm 4, it was written by David. It's a complete contrast. So that opening line, answer me when I speak to you, O my righteous God. David doesn't get the answer in the psalm. But what he does go on is he reminds himself that God hears his uh, prayer, knows the distress he's in, and that God is ultimately going to rescue him. All he needs to do is remain obedient and faithful, and then he can lie down in peace and trust that God will be with him. It's a great psalm. Do have a read of it when you go home. And it just really spoke to me. We might not get the answer from God that we want now, but what we need to do is remain obedient and faithful and rest in peace that God will be there for us and will not let us down ultimately. God will, not may, but will be able to bring us comfort and joy if we trust in him. So that's the first value. Trust God when you are suffering. The second thing I think Jesus is saying to his disciples is this. Value God over people-pleasing. Can I have a quick show of hands? Hands up if you are like to be appreciated and liked by other people. Okay, that's good. I was hoping you would all put hands up. Being liked and valued is, is by others is something that most of us, if not all of us, value really highly. To have other people that, that like you and to be able to get along with other people, it's just, you know, it brings great joy, doesn't it, to be part of a good relationships and a good loving community. And that's what we want to, want to be here. You know, we're not going to set a good example as a church of being a loving community if none of us like each other and we don't want to spend time with one another. Certainly wouldn't want to be an attractive community that other people want to join either. And I have to say, since I've been here, uh, I've had a positive experience of being welcomed into HTC. I think that says a lot about the church. Yet in this passage, Jesus is making something very clear about human relationships good as they are, and important as they are. Jesus is saying human relationships are less important than our relationship with God. Human relationships are less important than our relationship with God. Being liked by other people is less important than our relationship with God. Human relationships are important. God made us not to be alone, but made us to be in community. You know, in, in the story of, of creation, God himself says, it's not good for man to be alone. We are made to relate to one another, to have relationships. But what Jesus is making clear here is that our relationship with God comes first, and human relationships or being liked by others comes second. And when it comes to a decision between pleasing God or pleasing people, we should always choose God. Always. And it's not as easy as we might think. Because we need to show that we choose God in the way we relate to people all the time, I think. In all the relationships we have. In the close ones, in the professional ones, or even in the occasional acquaintances that we have. And it is so tempting and easy in all the different situations to just go along with what everyone else is doing so you don't feel left out and so you feel welcomed. It's really easy to join in with 
laughing unkindly at somebody at the office maybe that has made a mistake just because that's what everybody else is doing. Or going on or not speaking up about dishonest conduct. That is happening. Joining in with gossip in the playground about others that you know you shouldn't, perhaps. All because we don't want to feel left out. We're valuing being liked and included in a group over the values, over our relationship with God and how he wants us to live. It's really difficult to do, really difficult to do. I love how uh, the message translation uh, unpacks verses 22 and 23, which is kind of what I'm talking about at the moment. I'm just going to read it to you. So have a, have a quick read of, uh, uh, of uh, the version in the Bible open in front of you, and then I'll read the message translation, which I think really sort of captures what I'm trying to say. Count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out, every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and that that person is uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like that. When we choose God over people, what we're doing is making God known and making the world a better place. You're sharing the values of a loving community, even if it's met with hostility. You are living differently to the world around you, and you are making God known. So I think that's the second value that we should learn this morning, that we should value God before people-pleasing. I hope what you're seeing as we've looked at these two values is that Jesus really is turning the values of the world upside down. And he's slowly shifting and encouraging his disciples, well, not slowly, quite dramatically, actually, to shift their focus from the things that are going on in this world to trying to get them to see things the way God sees them and look at God first rather than the world and what's going on around them, which is ultimately what really matters. So what's the third thing Jesus is saying to his disciples as he's looking at them? And it's this. uh, Know the place of the world's temporary riches. I want to make it clear, because I'm starting to look at the woes now, that we need to keep in mind all the teaching uh, Jesus gives. People are saved through coming to faith in, in Jesus and not through the possessions they do or do not have. But what I do think Jesus is making very clear in this passage is that money, possessions, and the satisfaction or happiness we get from them won't last. We can't take any of them with us when we're gone, and we should not live our lives in the moment like we can. Or like, yeah, like we can, or like they can provide us with ultimate happiness now. The joy and excitement I get from getting a new car or a new computer game like happened over Christmas, it is kind of good, but it's only fleeting. It doesn't last very long. And it's the same with anything we own, whether it's small things, whether it's big things, whether it's a lot or a little. They are not worth us or worthy of us to build our lives on and find meaning through them. 
because they can't help you after it. And when you're going through suffering, they aren't going to answer back and provide true comfort to you. I know when I, uh, I grew up going to church, when I went off um, to university, I kind of uh, left church behind me. And I thought, I'm going to live my life completely freely and do whatever I want. And I thought that would bring me great, great happiness and deep joy. And there were moments of fleeting happiness and joy. But because I'd experienced Christian community, it just didn't satisfy me in a way that I thought it would. There was something missing. There was some satisfaction that was not there, that was not lasting. Something important was missing. And because I'm quite slow, it took me two years to realize that actually that thing uh, that was missing was that peace and security and ultimate unconditional love that I had experienced in the church community and through my relationship with God when I was growing up. The things of this world can't satisfy you. Rick Warren, who, who wrote the material we're going to be using, by the way, for 40 days of community. You're probably going to be fed up of me mentioning that over the coming, coming months. But he wrote uh, the book, uh, The Purpose Driven Life, which I know a few of you did when you did the 40 days of purpose here. Now, that was an international bestseller and is still uh, selling thousands and thousands of copies today. Uh, it made uh, Rick Warren, who was a pastor of a church, he made megabucks through that book. But do you know something interesting about him? He kept the same modest lifestyle he always had from before that book was successful to after. In fact, he still has that same modest lifestyle today. Each year he simply works out what he and his family need to live on and he gives the rest away. No matter how much income he gets from it or how little. He knows what he needs to live, uh, a really modest lifestyle, and he simply gives the rest of way. Now, I don't believe God is calling us all to be poor. But what God is calling all of his disciples to be is to know that possessions and wealth can fail you. And they are of no use in the next life. So don't look to them to satisfy you now. And don't treat them as the be-all and end-all in this world because they aren't we need to be generous with what we have and look to God to provide for our needs not our things and that's the point of this whole passage which is my last point really is we are to look to God to seek his eternal blessings above all else in all areas of our life in our relationships in our sufferings with our possessions with all things. And I want to start this last point by asking you some questions that I hope will, will help us to maybe uh, put into practice or get us to think about where are those areas in our life that we're not doing that. So first questions, general, then I get a bit more specific. Are you living your life not just on a Sunday, but every day seeking to put God and his values first? Do you, in your actions, value pleasing God over being liked by others at work, at school, at college, in the school playground, on Facebook, or wherever it may be? 
maybe some more specific questions. When you're pressured for time, what's the first thing that gets squeezed out? Is it the time you spend with your relationship with God, your prayer time? Or is it something else? Or when you want to relax and enjoy your possessions on the weekend, what do you pick first to miss? Is it coming to church and spending time worshipping God and in the community, the loving community here? What about with yourself or with your children? Do you always prioritise other activities over church activities? Work over going to small groups, making your children miss the youth club because you want them to spend more time doing their homework. What is it you are valuing more? Is it the things of this world or the things that God wants us to focus on? Now, I'm not saying these other things don't have importance and don't, don't have their place. What I am asking us to think about is, actually, where are they? Are they too important? Are they above God in your life? Because all these other things do have some value. God does want us to work hard. God does want us to uh, relax and enjoy his creation. But if you're doing those things at the expense of your relationship with God or your children's development of their relationship with God, I think you need to change the priorities in your life. And I think that's part of what being a loving community is going to be for us this year. Is to, as we look individually at uh, the priorities in our life, is I want people here to know that we're really committed to one another, to sharing our lives together, to putting the relationships that we have here first. Because that is the type of community that God wants, where we value each other, where we look at each other, where we build each other up, where we're really committed to one another and encouraging other people in their relationship with God. Because that's what brings true hope for the world. That's what's truly going to fulfill both you and also those out in the world and help transform and make this world a better place for God. So I'd just like you to think about those things this week. And what can you do to put God higher up the list of priorities in your life?